It's good to see you this morning. Uh, I feel like I haven't seen you since last year. I got to do that. But Happy New Year. I hope that you enjoyed celebrating it with your family. What I can't think of a better way to uh, launch into this new year than to meet together as believers and uh, hear his word and worship him in song and rejoice together and fellowship together. Um, what, what a good thing this is and what a blessing this is as we've gathered this morning to do this. So happy new year. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We'll be in Philippians. Today, it's just two verses. We're going to head back to our series in Matthew uh, next week, but here we are today, Philippians chapter 2, and our text is going to be verses 12 through 13. The Word of God says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray again. Oh, Father, we come before you today, this dawn of 2023, with um, a desire to grow in you, to know you more in this year, to, to become more mature as individual Christians and as a church. We desire to see you at work in our hearts. We desire, Father, to marvel at your work in us as you transform us and your likeness. Father, I pray as we meet now and talk about your word, I pray that this would be clear, that the, the gospel message would be clear, that the things that I say would be true and accurate according to your word, and that we would um, desire with all of our hearts to apply them. And I, I know that all of those things require a work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray for your spirit to move here among us for our good and for your glory, for your name's sake. I pray for those who are here this morning who are going through difficult things. I pray that, I, I know that there's one here who has, um, whose plans have been completely changed because of an accident. I know there are others who are suffering loss. Lord, we pray for them together as a family, as a church, and ask that you would encourage and continue to show your grace to them. Now, Lord, I pray for the next 35 minutes or so. Helps be alert. I know all of us are tired. Helps be alert. Helps to be hungry. Oh, how we need to be hungry. Help us to be hungry for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder, uh, did you make any resolutions? Any New Year's resolutions? Do, you, do, you, do people still do that? Do people still make New Year's resolutions? I'm sure, I'm sure many do. Maybe... maybe Maybe you did. Maybe some of you did anyway. Or maybe you've given up on that already, thinking, man, I've tried this so many times to make New Year's resolutions that last till March, right? Maybe you've given up. Some of the most common resolutions I read this week have to do with fitness. I guess that's true in my experience as well. Nearly every year I think of something that I need to do because I'm in the body, right? I need to do something to do that well and healthy. And so I think of things to change. Every year, there are statistics published um, about how well people keep or fail at their New Year's resolutions. 
As you, as you might have guessed, those, those who keep the resolutions for the entire year make up a tiny percentage of people. Uh, 9 to 12%, the study I read, I, I don't know, what's that, how many statistics, what's this percentage of statistics they're just made up? But 9 to 12%, according to the study I found online, uh, will keep their resolutions this year. They'll look back at the end of the year and think, you know, I kept it. I kept my resolution. And why is that so? Why, 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 are, why is it so hard for us to keep New Year's resolutions? I, I don't think it's because our resolutions are themselves unworthy. You, you know what I mean? I, I don't think that they're like faulty. Re, like maybe they are, you know, like if I, I, I wanted to make a resolution that I wouldn't do any more house projects this year. Um, spend, <laughs> spend a lot more time fishing. I mean, they, they could be unworthy, you know, um, Maybe I should make those kind of, maybe you should if you work too much, I don't know. Um, Most of our resolutions we make because it seems apparent that we need them. We need them in our lives. So why do we not carry through with our resolution most of the time? I think the obvious answer is that we lack the resolve or we lack the power, to put it that way. We we lack the power as the year drags on to accomplish those resolutions. We have the desire, but we don't have the power to make them stick. So people start all kinds of resolutions in January. You know, gym memberships peak at the end of January. Um, By March, not so much. So frankly, while I'm not against resolutions, I still make them myself. I made some this year. I don't necessarily have great confidence though by the end of the year that I'll keep those kind of resolutions. I don't know that I'll look back and think, yeah, I kept all my resolutions, but we do want to keep them. Wouldn't it be nice if a resolution came with the power like packaged in it to accomplish it? Like the the resolution came with the resolve to see it through. Wouldn't that be good? What if we could make a resolution that came packaged with power from God and the assurance from God that we can keep it? To the point of this passage, what if we resolve to do what God ensures and that, you know, a, a work that God is doing and a work that God has done and a work that God will do in us? I think that kind of resolve would come with a lot of confidence that we, by God's will, by God's grace, would see it through. I think that's the package deal that is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Paul is issuing us a command, one that we should resolve to obey. That's what we should do with commands that are in the scripture. We should resolve to obey them. And there's a command here. And as we resolve to do this, we can have confidence that ultimate obedience, the will and the strength and the power, the enabling, all of it comes from God. This is a passage that I I thought fitting to put before us as we consider this year before us, 2023. My hope is that we'll consider this command and take strength from its promise and resolve in 2023 to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling, knowing and believing that it is God who works in us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Note how those verses, those two verses, verses 12 and 13 work together. If these two verses were a house, then verse 13 would be the foundation and verse 12 would be the walls and the roof and, and the rest of the house. It would, be, it, w- it would be on that foundation. So the indicative or the true statement, that's what you see in verse 13, a true statement, he's saying this is true. It is God who works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. That 
that supports the imperative, the command to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Without the foundation, that house cannot stand. So I think maybe um, the best way to go through this is to first look at the foundation of the house. We're going to kind of do it backwards. We're going to first look at, we're going to pan up, as it were, instead of panning down. We're going to look at the foundation, and then we're going to work our way up to the walls and the roof and the rest of the house. So verse 13 first and then verse 12. And then I'm, 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 I'm going to round this off with practical considerations, even some suggestions uh, as, you, as you seek to practically obey this command in your life. So my hope is that God would use this to strengthen our resolve to follow Jesus. So we should consider how Paul sets this up, how he prepares the work site. It's a house, I'll just keep beating that illustration. If, if it's a house, he prepares this work site and he does it in two ways. You can see it, I think, both in verse 12, the word therefore and the word as. Therefore makes it clear that this passage has its roots in the hymn that precedes it. So this passage comes right on the, right on the heels of this hymn, this beautiful hymn in verses five through 11. And, you know, it's... it's I don't know what part of the hymn he's aiming at with the therefore, whether it's the, like, the example of Christ's humiliation or the exaltation of Christ or all of it together. I, I think it's all of it together. In other words, we could say that because Christ humbled himself in the incarnation and because he obeyed God to the point of death on the cross, and because God has highly exalted Christ above all, and because at the name of Christ, like Logan just prayed, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, because of all of these awesome truths, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Friends, there are massive reasons why you should take this seriously this morning. In fact, there are cosmic reasons why you should take this seriously. We have a tendency to see our faith as just an aspect of our lives, a part of our lives. It's like we view it, I think I got this from Nancy Guthrie, or Nancy Piercy, I got this from uh, this illustration. We, we view our Christian lives as a big chest of drawers, right? Our lives as a big chest of drawers. And we have our, our Christian drawer, that's the top drawer. That's how we, it's, it's the top drawer. But we have all these other drawers too. You know, this is my, I, I can close this drawer and I can open my work drawer, or close that drawer. This is my family drawer. This is my fun drawer. Got all these drawers. A, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is the whole chest, the whole dresser. Verse 12 begins with a very important therefore, and I hope you will, in your own personal life, feel the power and the importance and the weight of that therefore right now. This is super important. There is nothing more important in your life than this. And that's the prep for this work site. And it's also prepared. He was, it was prepared in the Philippian believers, and you can see that by the word as. As you have always obeyed. Paul means that they have obeyed the gospel. They had obeyed the teaching of the apostles. Paul is writing to a people who have felt the weight of the therefore in verse 12, and they've believed, they've trusted in Christ. They've, they've trusted in the finished work of Christ alone. They have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. They've obeyed. That's what obeying is in this passage. Have you obeyed? Are you obeying Christ, trusting in him? 
They had obeyed. Paul witnessed their obedience. He was with them. He says, you've obeyed in my presence. And he's urging them to obey even out of his presence. So, he wants their continued obedience. So, that's the site prepared. Now, let's just look at the foundation, okay? So, verse 13. Look back at it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what that means? That's, that's an amazing verse. I mean, plainly and undeniably, it means that God is the one who works in you to do both the willing and the working for his good pleasure. Your work is not ultimate. Your desire, your will, your desire to do what is good is not ultimate. What verse 13 clearly teaches is that ultimate and decisive and the deepest cause behind all of our willing and doing for God's good pleasure is God. God is at work making us want to do his will. And he's at work in us to accomplish his will. I think that's amazing. I I think that is amazing. This is a truth that is taught by Jesus. It's affirmed all over the New Testament. In John 15, 1 through 5, Jesus Jesus basically taught that. He says, I am the vine. This is John 15, 1. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that's clear, right? Without Christ, we can do nothing. If we have any fruit in our Christian lives at all, it is owing ultimately to the branch being attached to the vine. Ultimate and decisive behind every good deed, and indeed, even the desire to do good, I mean, truly good deed, deed that pleases God. Ultimate behind all of that is God in us, working through us. And listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10, as he describes what is decisive in his working. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, listen to this. I worked harder than them all, than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I worked harder, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God within me. Do you see? Here's a few more examples. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. It's amazing. Paul is praying for them, but he's praying more than they might do the right things. He is praying that God would work in them, making them worthy, fulfilling every good resolution, fulfilling every work of faith, and all of this by his power. Friends, who is decisive in the Christian life? Listen to Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing to him to his sight 
through Jesus Christ. His will working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God is decisive in the Christian life. He is, his gracious work in us is what enables the willing and the doing of his good pleasure. There are no good fruits in your life that are not ultimately owing to the grace of God in your life. You, you don't love someone with Christ-like love on your own accord or by your own strength. You don't give generously in a way that helps people and glorifies God because you are good or because you have a good nature. You don't love your wife the way that Christ loves the church because you're good. You don't run from the sin of lust or envy or pride because you're strong. Left to yourselves, you can do nothing. Without the vine, without, without Christ, you can do nothing. All of our willing and doing of his good pleasure are ultimately owing to his working in our lives for his glory and for our good. In other words, it is all of grace. And that should evoke in us so many responses. I'll, I'll name three things that you should feel as a result of, of, of that truth. And then one thing that you should not feel, okay? Three things that you should feel, one thing that you should not feel. First, this, this should make us feel confident. I mean, really confident. The truth should give us great confidence. If you have been a Christian for a while, then you know how hard living out the Christian life is, right? If we are left on our own, we're toast. We can't do it. Loving God with all of my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength, loving others, loving my wife, loving my neighbor, loving my fellow saints, loving my enemies. That's, that's not hard. It's impossible. But those commands do not crush me. And they shouldn't crush you. We know who supplies the will to do those things. And we know who supplies the power to do those things. It is God. This truth gives us confidence. And speaking, back, speaking of confidence, flip back one page in your Bibles, or maybe it's on the same page, to Philippians 1, 6. Look what Paul said, and this is again to help you with your confidence, feeling the confidence of this truth. Paul said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God began this work and God will finish it. He will finish it in you, Christian. He is completing it in you now. This is the work of Christ in you. Of course, there's two aspects to the work of Christ in a Christian. One that is finished and one that is ongoing. Christ has completed his work for us. His work on our behalf is finished. When he says, when he said it is finished on the cross and he died, laid his life aside, then took up his life again, the work for you was finished, complete. Nothing is added to the cross ever. Jesus completely paid our sin debt. He fully satisfied God's wrath for us. That work, Christ's work for us on the cross is complete. But Christ is at work in us and that is a work in progress. That's what's in view in our passage today. And the confidence I take from Philippians 1.6 is that he will complete that work in us. 
Jesus has finished his work for me and one day he will finish his work in me and in you. Oh, what confidence that I ought to give you in your Christian life. As you, as, you, as you set your resolve to please God in 2023, this ought to give you confidence. It is a miracle to obey him, but God does that miracle. You should feel confident this morning in Christ and you should feel humility, humble before him. Understanding that the Christian life is owing ultimately to God's work in us does not produce proud Christians. On the contrary, we who have turned to Christ by faith know that we can do nothing outside of Christ. Our confidence that I mentioned before is not in ourselves. In fact, we look, the, the, the nature of faith is that we look away from ourselves. We look to the cross. proud Christian is an oxymoron. A self-righteous person who looks with scorn at other Christians that he deems less righteous than himself is not himself rightly understanding God's grace. If you are a proud friend, then you are blind to God's grace. God's grace, when it is understood, humbles us. All of our good deeds, all of our willing to do good things, all of the fruit in our lives that are bear, born for his good pleasure, they're all owing to God's grace in our lives alone. Christians feel confident in Christ and they feel humble before him. Humble in themselves, confident in Jesus. And finally, we should feel awe at all of this. And I think that's why Paul at the end of verse 12 says, with fear and trembling. When we as one writer put it, act out the miracle of God's grace by living and growing in the Christian life, our hearts ought to fill with wonder and awe. God, the creator of the universe, is at work in us. I mean, that ought to make you go, wow. You feel awe when you like view the Rocky Mountains for the first time or the Grand Canyon or when you stand on the beach of a great lake, or when you stand on the coast with a, with a vast ocean before you. you. You feel awe when you see these incredible photographs that we're able to take now of, of the vast universe, or photographs of our tiny planet from far away in space. You feel awe when you study the complexities of this world, atoms and molecules, and the design that runs all the way through it. You feel awe when you see a baby's tiny feet or his tiny yet perfectly formed hands. All of those things evoke awe in our hearts. And you know why? You know why they do that? Whether we know it or not, it's because we are witnessing the work of God, the handiwork of God in those things. And that produces awe. Friends, you do not have to go to Colorado or Arizona or Florida or up in a spaceship or to a maternity ward to feel that kind of awe. You should feel it as you see God's handiwork in you. As he wills and works for his good pleasure, we should feel awe in the church as we see God working among us, growing us. It's an awesome thing to behold. God is at work. 
So confidence in Christ, humility in ourselves, and awe at the handiwork of God. Those are things that we should feel in response to verse 13. There's something we should not feel though, and that is passivity. The reality, I know passivity is not an emotion, but you know what I mean. We shouldn't feel like we should be passive. The reality that is that it, that it is God at work in us, willing and doing of his good pleasure, should not cause us to fall into the trap of fatalism or passivity. And I know why people go there. I know why people go there. They think philosophically that that is the end of that thought. The end of the thought that all of our willing and doing for his good pleasure is rooted in and owing to the God's willing and working in us that leads some people to think that we, we must be passive pawns without any genuine or meaningful will. Since whatever God will do, he will do. We are therefore passive. Now that might philosophically work, meaning I can see, I can follow the thinking of people who think their way to that thought, if you know what I mean. Philosophically, it might work, but it does not work exegetically. And what I mean is the scriptures never lead us there, ever. And in fact, they go the opposite way. Paul said, again, I have worked harder than them all, yet it was not I, but the grace of God in me no passivity in Paul. The realization that God is at work in us does not lead us to passivity. You know what it leads us to? Radical, confident, humble action to serve Jesus Christ. That's why Paul rested the command of verse 12 upon the reality of verse 13. It is a motivation. Verse 13 is the motivation for verse 12. You follow? So look at verse 12. Work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I think what Paul means plainly with that phrase, work out your own salvation, I think he means that we should bring the fruit of our faith, the fruit of our faith in Christ, the fruit of the salvation that God has worked in us into our present day lives. In other words, we should live out the gospel. We should let the gospel have its way with us in the way that we think and act and behave and live. We live out the gospel. And encompassed in that, I believe, is the entire Christian life. All, all the good we do from the seemingly smallest things, like doing good without complaining and grumbling, that's where he goes after this. He goes there. Surprisingly, he goes there after this. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. That You'll be lights in this world. From the smallest things like that, seemingly smallest things, to the biggest things like bleeding and dying on the mission field for the advance of the gospel. I think all of that is what working our salvation out looks like. It is living and growing and living out the work of Jesus Christ in us. And I think it means growing in Christ. I think it means growing in holiness. I think it means serving God and doing things for him. I think it means living your life in increasing measure in a way, a manner that honors him and displays him and glorifies him. What it doesn't mean, of course, you know, it doesn't mean working out your, I think I've been clear, but it doesn't mean earning your salvation or anything like that. It is our salvation he's talking about. We, we have it if we have obeyed the gospel by faith. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have this salvation. 
if we've trusted in Christ alone. This has to do with growing in our Christian lives. And this is the resolution I think you should make today. You know, if you feel like you need to shed a few pounds or get more regular with your exercise or watch less streaming or scroll less on your phones, by all means, resolve to do that. Those are often very good and needed things, but this is way bigger, friend, way bigger. If your hope is in Jesus, resolve in 2023 to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And if your hope is not in Jesus, trust in him today. There is no hope outside of him. If your hope is in him, resolve to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Seek to grow in Christ. Seek to grow in holiness. Attempt good works for Christ. Live generously for Christ. Serve others for the sake of Christ. Resolve to share Christ with others in 2023. Resolve to give more of your time and treasure away for the cause of Christ. Resolve to lead your family to follow Jesus in 2023. Resolve to grow in holiness and in purity and in joy and in thankfulness. Resolve to cast off your idols. Resolve to run from your besetting sins. Resolve to live out what God has done and is doing in you. And will one day complete in you. Make that resolution. And you know what? That's a resolution you can make with confidence and with humility and with awe. Depending on the vine. Believing in him for these things. These are the best resolutions we can make. Resolve by the grace of God to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Now I could get really practical here. And I do want to practically help you with this, but please understand, I think verse 12 is broad and general and encompasses much of what the New Testament teaches us about the Christian life. There is a sense in which I have to be broad in the way I suggest you apply this, but I also want to be very practical. And so I have two practical suggestions for you this morning to consider. Two means, I believe, of God's grace that is part of the way that he wills and works in us. And ways that you can obey verse 12 with your confidence firmly in verse 13. I think you will find these two means of grace helpful if you will apply them. That they are, I'm suggesting that you press into this year the word of God and the church. In 2023, as a means to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The word of God, the Bible, is what God uses to instruct us, to reveal his word to us, to teach us how he is, what he is like, how we should live. You cannot work out your own salvation without God's word. You cannot. You cannot grow as a Christian without God's word. You can't. At best, you'll be a weak Christian. If you desire to live this out, you have to press into God's word. So a few suggestions, quick suggestions about that. Maybe download a plan to read the Bible through in 2023. Lots of plans available. In fact, if you Google these terms, you'll find a really good plan. If you Google five-day Bible reading plan, you will find a really good plan that I've been using for years and has been helpful for me every year. Uh, there's lots of plans. Though. There's plans to read just the New Testament. There's plans to read uh, the New Testament plus Psalms and Proverbs, all kinds of plans. 
Find one to help organize your reading and press into reading God's word. Resolve to take advantage of discipleship in God's word that's available to you. Opportunities like Sunday school. Man, that's such a great option. One hour on Sunday. That's not hard to do. One hour. And we have some awesome classes I have learned so much in my Christian life from our main adult Sunday school class. That's the one I go to. It starts right here next week at 9 a.m. I've learned so much about the word from that time together. And home groups, those wonderful Sunday evenings when we discuss together the passage that was preached in the morning and encourage one another to apply it. It's all about the word. And I'm encouraging you to, to take advantage of opportunities so that you might grow in the word in 2023. Press into it. And then, of course, there's lots of overlap here, but if you want to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in 2023, press into the church. Press into the body of Christ. Draw in. Be served. Find a place to serve. Don't stand on the periphery. Don't stand outside uninvolved anymore. This letter, by the way, Philippians, was written to a church. We don't grow deep in Christ without the church. No one does. In my experience, I've, 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 I've encountered many people who've said, you know what, I don't need a church. I've got the Bible. I've got Jesus. I can just do what I want to do. I've got those things. I've not seen any of them thrive in their faith. And I have seen so many people thrive as they have pressed into the church. If you do not press into the body of Christ, at best, you will be a weak Christian. God uses the church in the lives of his people. It's a means of God's grace to us and part of the willing and the doing of his good pleasure that God does in us. And so resolve, my friends, to press into the church this year. A new year is upon us. Isn't that good? A new year. Let us resolve to glorify God by working out our own salvation with fear and trembling because, precisely because, it is God who works in us, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Resolve with confidence and with humility and with awe and with action. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would work in our hearts, in our lives, mightily this year. We look forward to this year. We have no idea what it holds. We don't know if it's going to be a hard year. We don't know if it's going to be an easy year. We don't know if it's our last year. We don't know. But we know this. We don't want to waste this year. We don't want to waste another day. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to press into this today. And Lord, we thank you that you are the one who is ultimate in our willing and our doing of your good pleasure. Lord, I, we, I pray that we give us confidence today as we put our hands to the plow and seek to live for your glory. And Lord, I do pray for those who are on the fence today. I pray for those who are on the fence when it comes to the gospel, who are wondering if this is truly, if this is real or if this isn't. Oh, Lord, help them to see that this is the realest thing in the universe. You have died on the cross for our sins. You were raised to newness of life. And all who trust in you alone by faith 
share in that life. And those who are on the fence when it comes to just plugging in and pressing in and not being nominal anymore, oh Lord, would you urge them to see this new beginning, this new year as an opportunity to press in for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.